Coming up is something a little different. I've done over 600 plus episodes on the podcast, and this one is a compilation of some of the best expert tips from all the top game publishers. I went in and listened to them again to pick out the best nuggets for you. So here it is, expert tips from the guys from Rovio, Glue, Ketchup, so much more, really condensed for you. I hope you enjoy this, but please let me know what you think about these types of episodes as I go back into the archives and try to pull out the best nuggets from some of the best guests that I have ever had on. So I I hope to do more of these. It took a little bit of time and I hope to do more of these, but I will only do them based on your feedback. So please, please, please let me know. Either send me an email, steve at masters.co or leave a comment on this blog post slash podcast page, whatever you want to call it. But please, please, please let me know. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. B7Dev is the one-stop shop for all your app development needs. They can help you with design, development, and even marketing. Check them out. B7Dev.com. With over 350,000 influencers and an audience of over 2 billion followers, Boost Insider is the leading influencer marketing platform to help you drive downloads through the world's best social rock stars. Go to BoostInsider.com to learn more. First up, we have Christian Calderon, who is the chief revenue officer at KetchUp. Sure, you heard of them. And he talks about focusing on optimizing your first impression ads. When you're thinking about acquisition, how do you approach it? I'll keep it general from that standpoint. And maybe we can go into the details after you start talking. Yeah. So, uh, so with user acquisition, um, it's interesting because it's like, it's not, it's, it's hard. You need, obviously you need money to do it. Right. Um, and on top of that, you need a, a game or application that, that is UAable or in other words, that has uh, a lifetime value and what lifetime value is, is just accumulation of revenue um, over, over time for, a particular user, the entire revenue a user will bring in their lifetime, in other words, um, is greater than the cost it takes to acquire them. So that that math equation allows you to do user acquisition uh, profitably. So that's that's the most important thing um, in in UA in, in general. And there are different ways that you can manipulate that that curve or, or those numbers. You can manipulate the cost side. You can manipulate the revenue side, um, and that's that's ba- you know that's mainly how I think about user acquisition, um, and uh, and and from there you can jump 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 into different things like you can jump into product. You can jump into data science. There are all kinds of different things you can jump into to help um, 
to help make UA more scalable, more profitable, um, and it, you know it only gets more complicated from there. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. What's the first thing you look at? Do you look at when you say UAable? Are you looking at retention? What are the metrics first and foremost that you're looking at? Yeah, it's lifetime value. So it's uh, so lifetime value is is a is essentially uh, a product of of two things. That's retention and, and uh, ARP DAO or average revenue per daily active user. So you're splitting basically the the engagement and the the monetization metrics uh, apart, um, and you're looking at those two things. The the first thing that you typically want to look at in a in a game is the retention piece. Um, that is making sure like the game has a is, is viable, right? Like you can throw it in the marketplace, people will play it, people people will keep it on their on their device and and come back to it. Um, then then the monetization piece is critical to look at. Um, throughout the life cycle of an app though, you're always trying to improve these two things. Um, it's we we go through this what we call a, 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 a this iterative product development um, life cycle where we 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 push an update, we measure the update, how that changes the these metrics, and then we maybe start uh, optimizing features or adding on new product features to to further increase those metrics and then push that, measure it, and then do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, the reason why is because you're, you're always on this never-ending chase to increase lifetime value for a game um, because acquisition costs are, are going, will, will always go up for a particular title uh, or a particular application. Um, and there's also ways you can combat uh, inflation and, and, and CPI, but it's, uh, you know, typically you want to do both things. One, increase the, the LTV capacity and then also decrease the, the CPI or, or the inflation of, of uh, CPI. So the other thing that I want to talk about, I'm going to move real quick to the, the first impression CPM. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So first, first, this concept of first impression is um, important to a lot of advertisers, uh, especially performance related, and now even brand advertisers. And that's because the first impression is always the most performant. So if you look at um, in user acquisition, let's say you're you're you're, you're you send out uh, you have a bunch of advertisers and they're all they're, they all advertise to one user in a game session, and that user sees five ads. Typically, the first ad converts better than the fifth ad. So because of that, um, this CPM, usually for that first impression, is usually higher. Also, based on like just the auction dynamics, remember I talked about earlier, like the highest price uh, ad is highest paying ad is shown first. Mm -hmm. So a portion of that revenue is, is obviously shared with the developer on a CPM basis. And so the highest CPM is, is always tied to the, the first impression. So first impression is extremely important for both the advertiser and both the, the, um, the uh, developer. 
there are like things that you can do to utilize this. So you can design product features that um, that that try to have a high adoption rate for first impression. Some ad formats have higher adoption rates than others for first impression. Um, and then you could also try to cut deals for you know first impression with with ad networks. Uh, and you can combine like you can combine those two things to have like higher ads arp DAO for or ads average revenue per daily active user for a particular uh, cohort um, you know, based on, on on the design and also like the deal structure. Yeah. The and is it what's the best ad unit for first impression? Um, in terms of like CPM or in terms of uh, adoption? I guess yeah, like the, so the so like banner ads highest adoption I think right. <laughs> everyone sees them there's yeah. so uh, also lowest CPM <laughs> but uh, then you have interstitial units those are interesting because you can force you can kind of force those on the user right. so those have the adoption rate is is highly controlled CPM is about mid range. Um, obviously, with interstitial units, you want to be careful how you display them. Um, and then I would say the rewarded video usually has the lowest adoption out of out of all the 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 ad, other ad units because that has to really be dis- incorporated and it's an opt-in experience. So the user has to opt in to view the ad. But that ad unit also has typically the highest CPM. So because it's it's more performant than than typically than than the other units. So, um, um, so yeah. So they're they're all kind of different in their own regard uh, in terms of first impression. Um, the highest paying unit will will probably be the rewarded video unit. So you're kind of saying, hey, look, you can kind of go to all these different ad networks and say, look, here's the first impression for an interstitial. Here's the first impression for the video. Here's the first impression for a banner and so forth and kind of work out deals that way. Am I completely off base? Exactly. Okay, cool. No, no, totally, yeah. Next up, we've got Chris Akavan, who is the chief revenue officer at Glue Mobile. And he talks about how you should double down on your most successful games. I think as the industry has gotten much more competitive, you know, the bar's gotten really high as far as what it takes to have a viable title. Uh, and so what that means is that, you know, you can no longer get away with putting out sequel after sequel or light reskins or, uh, you know, modest, innovative or modestly innovative games. Like each time you put out a new product, it needs to be robust and, and really surprise and delight consumers. Uh, and also, when you do have a successful product, um, you know you're you're much more likely to be successful if you if you really double down and keep that product going through live ops and constantly adding new features to it and really listening to the community and evolving that product versus always jumping to building the next game. Uh, so we've seen that that evolution across the entire industry and, and certainly in our own business. Now with the some of the tools out there like Buildbox, Unity, where it makes it easy for anybody to create a game, what would you say to the the first time indie? Because I've worked with a lot of these people too who are creating the game, like this is their first game that they're creating. What would you say, what kind of advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think um, what I've seen with a lot of uh, smaller developers is they just get way too far ahead of themselves. Um, 
if you're building a game, I mean, like at the core, it's got to be fun and it's got to be a great experience. And uh, I've I've just very often seen indie developers like early on in development, they're like, oh, what's our strategy for getting into Japan or Korea or just like random <laughs> other opera? You know, like it's like th- this is so far away from what you guys should be thinking about. Or like, how many ad networks should we work with and all? And, <laughs> It's like, you know, again, like get back to focus on a great product, focus on core gameplay that's really fun, get it in front of a lot of people and, and validate that and build off of that. Um, so I guess my advice would be focus on the game first and then worry about all of the business execution later on. Um, so like I said, oftentimes seen developers focus too much on the business execution before they even have a viable product. Yeah, agreed. And they, they always talk about, here's what I hear often is like, how do I get featured by Apple? And that's all they care about. And right. that's like the growth right. strategy. I'm like, that's not a growth strategy, man. Like it's like winning the yeah. lotto, right? Yeah. It's, 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 and even if you do, right, that's like a, a short moment in time right. thing. It's not going to sustain beyond that. So, um, so again, like, yeah, building a great product has got to be a hundred percent of your focus. Uh, and only once you have that, then I think you can start to, to think about how do you max out that product. So when you sort of thought thought through that a little bit, when, let's talk about the ad revenue side of things. That's your bread and butter. Like, what do you? What are some best practices for maybe even the indies out there who are trying to grow revenue off a of base that they're like, okay, I know I can drive downloads. I'm gonna listen to you, Steve. I'm gonna do that little growth hack, and I'm gonna get ten thousand, fifteen thousand yeah. downloads. But what are some other ways they can really maximize that for their ads? the revenue yeah i mean i think one thing with ads is uh you do want to get them in early in your game because one of the challenges i've seen is if you don't have ads for a long time and then like let's say a year into having your game live you, you throw ads in there is a tendency for the audience to be like oh what the heck happened here whereas like if you had ads from day one no one complains um so you know i'd say it's an, an important thing to have in the product up front um and in particular with rewarded ads and uh, rewarded video ads, you actually want to think about that in the actual game design at some point. Um, because if you want to be able to run in-game contextual video, you need to have uh, premium items or experiences in your game that are of relatively low value so that you're able to give them away for someone to just watch a video. Um, beyond that, like I'd say my advice on, on ads is to not overcomplicate it up front. Uh, you know, again, you probably want to have like for us, we you know every game has three core ad units. It's got the offer wall, it's got rewarded video, uh, and then full screen interstitials. Um, and e- and each one of those is is a meaningful part of our ad revenue mix. So and I, I would I would say look at those units. Um, if you're only going to do one thing and you only have time for one thing, probably rewarded rewarded video is the one to to start with. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's at a high level what I think about then. Beyond that, as, as you get more sophisticated, you know, we've spent a lot of time doing A-B tests and, and figuring out the right frequency uh, and, and the right locations to show ads. Um, and, and what comes with that is also better understanding how to segment your audience so that to certain users who have certain types of behaviors, you might show them more ads, others might show them less ads. Um, but you can kind of get sophisticated over time. Uh, so I think, you know, overall advice is start with at least the core ad units uh, and if you can only do one do rewarded video and then build your sophistication over time from there gabriel revald is the product manager at voodoo games check him out it is voodoo.io and he talks about how you should take an analytical approach to studying games so you just you just try focus on what is addictive and what's a nice experience for the user and so uh, for that, what you usually do is 
what I do is, is just benchmark. And I, I spend a lot of time just looking at what games are in the top charts and trying to um, really extract which qualities they have. And then I, you know, I condense it in Excel charts and, and really try pour over no way. it and understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite, you know, analytical. Um, Without giving away too much, because I don't want to take away your secret sauce, but like, what are you putting in the Excel charts? Like, what is maybe like, there's balls or like, I just want to know like the, the <laughs> details of this Excel chart. I think, you know, it will, uh, there will be things that are quite like objective qualities, you know, um, you know, the average time of the session length, you know, of a session, uh, whether the game is online or offline, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a two player or it's like a multiplayer um if it's a puzzle game or it's you know a tap game or a clicker you know stuff like that and then also some things which are more subjective such as does it generate you know uh is it relaxing uh is it too punitive or not is it um frustrating or is it not things like that and then when do you feel are there trends that you see like are there like oh a really hit game tends to be a little bit frustrating from a subjective level and <laughs> A little bit, you know, relaxing. Are there trends that you're starting to see too? Yeah, I think there are definitely trends. Uh, definitely trends. I think you know, a hit game will usually be, um, as I said, you know, so snackable. Um, so that means it's a short and pausable game session. Um, so you know, it's, I think most people. I mean, my vision of today's like casual gamer is a person who's watching like a Netflix show, right? But we're such like multi taskers that we can't just watch a show we have to do something else <laughs> so either it would be texting somebody or it could be like a kind of mind numbing game you know right so that's that's the snackable kind of game casual game uh, that we're looking for and now we have jeff gurian who is the vp of marketing and ad monetization at congregate and he talks about how you should maximize your ad engagement we we look heavily at at ad engagement um you know how many interesting what, what percent of da you are engaging with ads and how many ads are those are those users watching um ads have become a very significant part of our business um and we try to maximize their value because by and large it's a way to to you know garner revenue from users who might not otherwise pay so that's actually a pretty one of the key metrics that we look at amongst the, the standard retention monetization um, metric. What ad unit are you looking at when you when you look at the engagement? Uh, primarily rewarded rewarded video. Yeah, figure. Love it. <laughs> are you looking at like? We also use offer walls in a number of titles. If the if the, the in game economy justifies it, we want to make sure that the offer wall surfaced well and is getting engagement as well. What do you mean by offer wall? What does an offer wall look like? So offer walls are generally like um, they're incentivized actions within the app, and they're generally within the store. So um, you know, if you're going to the store to buy some hard, hard currency, you you can get presented with offer wall, and the offers could be anything from you know install mobile strike to um, sign up for Netflix. Mm. Uh, and the payout is is contingent on uh, the value of that offer. So Netflix is obviously willing to pay a lot for a subscriber. That might be worth thirty dollars of in-game currency. Versus installing a, a another mobile app, um, you know, might be worth a dollar. Right. So you know, users can select what offer they want to do, and there's a various amount of work to do it. And once they engage with that, um, they get rewarded with the, with the hard currency in the game. 
Um, we've actually we've actually found that the people, the non-buyers who engage with the offer wall, actually go on to, to purchase at a much higher rate than um, non-buyers who do not engage with the offer wall. Um, so it's been a pretty valuable addition, uh, both from a revenue, but also to drive IAP. All right, Jeff. So let's talk about, I guess, the the marketing. So how early does it come on? What are you guys thinking about when you're developing the app and you know preparing for the launch and all that? Yeah, well, that's, that's been a shift in kind of our bit, our kind of business approach in the past couple of years. So in the in the past, we would kind of take a game, um, you know. Marketing wouldn't really see or touch it until almost you know until we hit test markets and need to do some spend against the title. Um, but then a lot of times the CPIs they are what they are at that point, um, and there's little we can do to influence them. Um, Ad creative can you know move your CPIs plus or minus thirty percent, but they don't take a six dollar CPI and make it two dollars, um, which is always a challenge. So um, you know in that case it was semi frustrating because we would launch titles and then find out we'd have really high CPIs and couldn't put sustained marketing behind it. Um, so with a lot of developers, what we've been doing is kind of is moving that conversation way, way forward, almost to even the, the concept phase, uh, where we kind of look at the marketability of a game, uh, try to figure out what we think the CPIs will be. And that's based on either testing, um, or comps against, you know, other titles in our portfolio. And, you know, we'll go out and, and work with the developer to, to, to maximize or basically to lower their CPI as much as possible. And that could include, doing everything from testing different art concepts to see which ones get the best uh, CTRs and then using that art concept in the game. Um, you'd be surprised how big of a, of a influence an art concept has in CPIs. I mean, that that can move be the difference of 100 to 200% in CPIs between a good concept and a, and a poor concept. And even though if you look at both of them, they, they go like, these both look fine. Um, you know, we've seen CPIs half on one versus another that both, you know, outwardly to me, both look fine. So, um, that's been a big shift uh, in our kind of approach in the past couple of years. It's really helped us kind of market, bring more games to do sustained marketing with. There's a blog post in my head. I, we've actually written it out, but it's entitled like strategies that big guy, big game companies should adopt from the indies and then vice versa. Indies should adopt from the big guys. So I'm going to toss it up to you because I think you're the perfect person to talk about this because you sit right in the middle. What are some strategies that you think the big guys should adopt from the indies? Um, embracing ads um it's it's becoming it's it's maturing rapidly uh the ad space i'd say in the past two years it's matured rapidly matured rapidly that the cpms are high um you know it ads can account for anywhere from 10 to you know some of our games actually make 70 percent of the revenue from ads um you know and it's also what in a lot of kind of the bigger companies i've talked to or hear is that they're always afraid of like cannibalizing iap well, even if you have great I, you know, even if you have great IAP, probably no more than two to five percent of your users on average are buying. So you should really be focusing on ways to maximize revenue from the other 90, 95 to ninety-eight percent of users. And you know, it, running ads is a great way to do that. Um, and then tracking those ads. So you know, if you're if you're concerned about them, put them in, run some tests, but but track the engagement to see you know what impact does this have on users. And, you know, is it impacting retention or not? We generally find that that's not the case at all. So, you know, by and large, all of our new titles have had a, a, a very comprehensive ad integration. Um, and then from the little guy standpoint, I think it's adopting some of the strategies that the big guys take, you know, that I mentioned before around, you know, where are you in the chart? Where are you in chart positions? Um, how are you moving up and down with spend? If you're doing spend, um, can you influence your chart position and in turn influence your organics? Um, 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of kind of great monetization tools and techniques uh, from an IAP side that the little, that independent developers can take from the bigger ones. So I definitely would do research on similar apps, um, but also figure out other ways to get creative to make uh, revenue in your apps, whether it be ad integration, whether it be offer wall, um, whether it be looking at kind of native ads, uh, which are kind of background ads. Um, you know, there are, there's lots of different ways to make money in the in the space. Um, and I think if you're a small developer, you should probably try to maximize as many of those as you can uh, without interfe- interfering with the core uh, loop. And you know, one thing we do hear from is a lot of pushback on ads from small developers thinking it's going to hurt retention or monetization. And, and we just generally do not see that to be the case. So it's, I think it's something that needs to be adopted more universally on both ends of the spectrum. Next up, I am super excited about this one. His name is Wilhelm Tott. He is the executive vice president for games at none other than Rovio. What we do in in in, in mobile games, we look at we look at data, and we, we we scale something to a certain point, and and look at the data and try to optimize uh, the game based on on where we want it to go, and utilizing data to to help us get there. Uh, data is is like. I think this is this is a very important aspect of, of soft launch. It's not we don't really do it for data sake. We use we use data to achieve some form of goal that we have we have set ourselves uh, in order to get to a point when uh, the game is truly ready for for uh, for a global spotlight. Yep. And even if if you're lucky, even even some some level of, of uh, featuring from from the stores you go into. What are you looking at? Because the way I see data sometimes is like it's just a sea of numbers. I have no idea what to make use of it. Well, ultimately, what what you get to is is what you want to get to is a is a business case uh, for releasing a game. Uh, it's basically what what you what you what you're trying to put together is is um, is a is a solid understanding of what you're going into and ultimately going into soft launch you would have some level of goal that you're trying to reach and during soft launch the business case shows whether you're 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 trending towards that or not uh this is this is goal driven design goal driven uh approach to uh to running a game right uh and so from that point of view the 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 two most important aspects of, of a soft launch is, is then becomes uh, understanding at what price you can uh, you can achieve some level of audience and how you're going to do that and and the other bit is is how much uh, are you able to then see as as revenue from from in each individual person in that audience so it becomes a CPI versus versus LTV. Uh, equation where where uh, need, understanding that neither of those sides of that equation is a constant. Uh, everything depends on everything in, in, on both sides of that equation. So that's on a high level. Mm-hmm. What you then, as, as as you sit in a games team, what you're looking at is 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 a huge number of parameters that that feed into that, and and you also optimize towards uh, reaching some certain level of of CPI. Uh, as well as as LTV uh, as as your approach during soft launch, um, and I think the one thing that you often like um, that we often tend to kind of 
overlook or, or, or bypass in, in the conversations around soft launching games is that uh, soft launch is, is not not really there to um, it's not really there to as a development phase uh, in, in, in our opinion. It's, it is more there to validate things that we already believe and to optimize. Uh, it's not like the data you receive is not going to tell you what to do. You need to really have a strong vision of this is what this is what we're doing. This is where we're going, and you're utilizing soft launch and its data to to validate whether you are actually doing the right thing or whether you should be doing something else. Do you have an example that you might have gone through where you're like doing the soft launch? Here's what we notice. Here's what we optimize for, and we would have never guessed, obviously, if we didn't soft launch. Uh, great question. So we've we've uh, this year. We have, uh, in fact, discontinued a few games in in the soft launch phase. And I think the first one to to refer to was uh, beginning of this year, uh, a game called uh, called Party Monsters, uh, coming out of our, our our Stockholm studio. Still, I think that the IP approach and and the overall visuals on that game are just fantastic. And, and it, it, it's one where I think at some point we might go back and look at the IP and maybe maybe look at doing something else with it. Um, the uh, the game is a, is a, is basically a, a, a string matching game meets tower defense uh, game. So it's a little bit of a hybrid hybrid uh, approach to to two uh, interesting genres. Uh, what we what we came to realize uh, in in a very goal-driven uh, soft launch approach was that we are not going to be able to get to a, uh, a reasonable LTV with the game. Uh, and so the, the, Stockholm, the Stockholm studio and the game team within the, our Stockholm studio were, were very quick and efficient in, in, in getting to, get, actually, for, first of all, getting to soft launch stage and then realizing that this uh, being a new IP, uh, where where you have uh, quite a lot of pressure on 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 the LTV front, because uh, CPI tends to be quite quite high on on any uh, completely new IP, uh, uh, we we came to realize that LTV is not going to get to the point where we can where we can uh, acquire users at scale. Mm-hmm. So the decision from from the game team was to. Uh, to discontinue it quickly and take all the learnings from it and apply it in 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 the next uh, in the next thing that they're working on. And last but certainly not least, we have Brian Mashinter, former game director at Backflip Studios, and now at Wunga, and he talks about how you should monetize on impatience. Stay tuned. I want to get back to what you talked about earlier, Mash. When you, it was, I forgot the name, the Darkness one, Army of Darkness. You said Army of Darkness. Yeah. It was premium, right? Like people paid. What was it that were that you were doing that got people to buy all the in-app purchases? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so again, I, I I feel like I sound a bit like a broken record, but um, I'm okay with it. Maybe maybe somebody will actually remember it's what good. I said. I think that. it takes three times. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, well, here's the seventh. Um, I, <laughs> um, an IAP, an in-app purchase, is that promise to a to a player, right? That says, hey, if you spend money, 
you're going to feel even more powerful. You're going to feel awesome. You're going to give me a dollar and I'm going to make you feel like the king of the damn universe. So one of the things I think we did very well with Army of Darkness Defense is you could never spend a dime if you so chose. So it never felt like pay to win. It didn't feel like cheating. You could, you could play the game from level zero all the way to the endless level and never spend a dime. But if you wanted to, if you're a little impatient, if you've got an extra five bucks and you're like, I mean, yeah, I could play the game for an extra couple hours and I could crank. Hi, Brian. <laughs> or Mash. Yeah, you're right. back. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. You, you, you vanished for a second. Where'd it you froze. lose? It? So it said, if you have an extra $5, then. Yeah. If you have an extra $5, then you can spend that and feel good about that. And when you got that, you got this cool, powerful weapon and you felt like, oh yeah, like I got this level. I'm going to, um, so I think we did a pretty good job of riding that line of here's your chance to feel awesome but you don't have to if you don't want to. You didn't feel sold. It wasn't like the mattress sale, right? So I feel like we did pretty well with that. And so that's why we didn't take a beating for a premium game because uh, you didn't have to if you didn't want to. Such a great point because I, I don't know if this is probably competitive of you guys, but Monsters Legends. And I love that game. And my son loved the game. And I was like, oh, this is great. But it felt play to, you had to pay to win. It felt that way. And it's like, you, at a certain point, I'm like, no problem. We're live in this game. No problem. We're loving this game. And at a certain point, I was like, really? I can't advance and beat these guys unless I upgrade my characters. And then we just stop yeah. playing altogether. Like, and it, it was a shame because we both really enjoy that game. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a really tough line, right? Yeah. Like, for instance, in Dragonville, I mean, I monetize essentially on impatience. I make money because you're impatient. Uh, um, that's that's really because yeah. our our content is available if you're a patient human. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's one of those things where I, I mean I essentially monetize on uncomfortable. Most of us do. Right. You either monetize, and so that again, it's that promise, right? Do do you feel powerful? But the problem is what you felt at that moment is what I like to call the IAP bait and switch, right? Hey man, it's like the first one's free. Right, it feels like a drug pusher to some degree, where you're like, "Hey, here's the thing. Oh, you're going to need a bigger dose this time. Oh, you want to advance? You're going to need a little bit more." Yeah. And that's a that's a tough thing. And and what I would say is that works to a point. And I think there's a certain type of player that they don't mind that, and that's okay. Um, I'm not trying to to vilify or demonize the guys who make that game, but I understand. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand the frustration, uh, and we really do try to not create those. We don't try to create pain and then sell you the solution, right? That's, that's what we try to avoid. Now, admittedly, it's a business, uh, and there are moments where you're like, okay, we, we need to you know, think of some new ways to monetize and that kind of stuff. So it's, it, there's always a balance there of trying to be great to your players, but then also to try to you know, pay everyone. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.